Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 357 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 9th, 2015. Got a big show for you today. A little wrap-up of signing day from our perspective of our experts, Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde. Talk about some recruiting stuff. Talk about the team getting ready for spring football. A bunch of questions we have to get to, so lots of stuff to get to on the show this week. We love your questions, though. Send them in, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or you can call us at 206-888-6755 leave a voicemail there try to keep it brief uh, or you can go to our website peristylepodcast.com leave a voicemail right from your computer lots of ways to get a hold of us and we do love to hear from you like i said without further ado coach harvey Hyde joining us from catalina island where it's beautiful over there what's up coach how you doing Oh, buddy, I'll tell you what, it's about time I got back over here. I haven't been over here for a long time, probably two and a half months now. Because, Well, the last time I was here was Thanksgiving. Had to come back early because of the Notre Dame game on Saturday. But uh, it's beautiful over here. It's absolutely beautiful. It's the first break, basically, you and I have had. I mean, I still have shows to do and podcasts to do and work to do. But it's from a different place where you're not required to be somewhere, yeah. you know, uh, Vegas or here or there, wherever you're supposed to be. But, hey, thank you. And, again, uh, yes, it's uh, it's recruiting period for 2016. It's never over. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, whatever you have today. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to follow the coach on Twitter, he's at Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm at Inside Troy's. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. It's Real easy. SCTickets.com is where you go, or you can call them at 1 800 888 7287. If you want to see the Blake Griffinless Clippers, the Lakers in the tank mode, Kings Ducks, Kings trying to make the playoffs, all kinds of stuff here in Southern California across the country, go to SCTickets.com and they will hook you up. And, uh, coach, yeah, we, we got a bunch of questions I kind of wanted to uh, jump into. Um, let's start with Dennis in Lancaster. And he said, I love the show. Uh, first off, congratulations to the US to USC for the number one ranked recruited class. My question is for Coach Harvey Hyde. Now with the linebackers we have and Lamar Dawson coming back from injury, plus Houston, Osa Messina, so he's talking about John Houston, Osa Messina, Cameron Smith coming in, would it benefit our defense more if Sua Cravens went back to safety? Uh, it sure would be a great secondary having Adori, uh, Kevin, Iman, Sua, and Hawkins back there. Fight on from Dennis. Well, you know, uh, you want to get your players on the field. And uh, you hear me talk about this every single week. You can't have people watching. You've got to have your athletes playing. And if you can get better by moving them back to the secondary, you do that. But you've got to still evaluate. You know, once you get these players, you've got to see how fast they mature. They're going to be playing a whole different speed, uh, intensity, hitting, the whole thing. So you've got to really uh, – evaluate these players and make sure you're in the, they're in the right positions. Yes, you've got uh, Cameron inside. Uh, 
uh, and you've got, uh, well, you know, you could put even Justin inside. You could put Messina inside. You can do a lot of different things. I know one thing for sure. I'd certainly keep Messina on defense because he's a, he's a playmaker. He's going to make things happen. He's like Suver Craven. I mean, he could be an outside linebacker. He could be an inside linebacker. He can run. I mean, he was a tailback in high school. Uh, I just have a feeling, and I hope it's not happening, but I think Coach Sarkeesian is thinking about possibly having him go both ways or have some offensive turns at tight end. And, you know, I'm not for that. You know, you've heard me talk about this all along. Before, when they maybe had lack of depth, you could justify this. But, you know, I I don't think, first of all, it's good for morale. I don't think that, you know, if you have a receiver playing and you recruit a receiver and then all of a sudden – uh, you bring another guy over to the offensive side to replace you, you're telling them you're not good enough. And I think you're a better football player when you specialize in doing one thing and doing it well. So uh, I don't know what uh, Coach Sarkeesian is thinking about as far as Adoree Jackson this year, but he's got some great receivers. He brought in you know, a couple of JC receivers. He will have the second one in the fall. Uh, I think that the the talent is there. It's just utilizing the talent now, getting them on the field in the right position, and making sure you get your playmakers. You got to have playmakers in the game. You know, when you talk about Biggie Marshall and you talk about Yukili uh, Ross and you talk about these guys. I mean, these are playmakers. I certainly would leave Ross on the defensive side of the football too. You got to have great athletes playing defense as well as offense. Watching the game doesn't help you at all. And uh, in the inside, it's going to take some time to get some of these big old guys ready to hit. You know, before these guys were hitting guys who were 185 pounds or 250-pound guys. Now it's big on big. So a lot of these defensive players that are coming in, Jefferson and all these guys that haven't played against big on big, that they've had their way against high school players, are going to have to mature, and you're going to have to find out just how tough they are. And uh, a couple of them play with their motors on. I think they're going to be real good football players, but it's going to take some time to get them to play like Daniels. I think Daniels is a great player, but you've got to make sure he's healed up. got to make sure he can go. I think he's got a real motor. I think he'll do a great job. But it's going to take some time to get Gustin and John Houston and these guys playing at a level of Division I football. So, uh, yeah, I think they should uh, – uh, linebackers position now, I mean, when you get linebackers that are 6'4", 6'3", 6'5", uh, 250 pounds, 245 pounds, hey, you should dominate on defense. This is what defense is all about, dominating, uh, getting the other team off the field. Plus, these guys can run. So the main thing I'm concerned with, and this is just my opinion, is that you don't go into this rotation going offense and defense. You don't play guys every other play. You get your players on the field, that's their positions, and you let them go. Makes sense, Coach. And uh, we kind of have, not a, I guess, a little bit of a follow-up to that from Tarek. Um, talking about some of the incoming recruits and how USC is playing on defense, he said, in the past, you've mentioned that USC did not have the cornerbacks to play a lot of man defense. With the addition of uh, Biggie, Iman Marshall, and Isaiah Langley, do you feel USC now has the corners to play man and let the linebackers pressure the quarterback? Well, I would certainly say they should. You've got the number one corners on both sides. I mean, you've got Adore Jackson, who uh, I don't know if until up to the last game didn't allow a touchdown pass. I, I don't know how many he allowed the entire year. He's now have a year. He now has a year of experience. And Biggie Marshall is the number one corner in the country. 
and you've got Seymour and other players that have have experience. It's going to be a, a real, I think, and I think this kid uh, that you mentioned, Langley, he's a talented player too. And I don't mean to overlook other players. If you're a parent that, that is listening or a young player that's listening, I, I'm not naming every player when I talk. I'm just talking in generalities. So, uh, yeah, you should be able to play, man, and you should be able to take advantage of these guys. Put heat on people. Not only put heat on them, then play a basic, then drop three, then rush three, drop drop seven, drop eight. Mix it up. Get after people. When you have great team speed, get after them. Make a worry about you going into the game where they're not sure what you're going to do rather than they know what you're going to do. So, uh, And it's always good to line up and say, hey, we're going to stay in this defense and beat your ass. And if you're really good, you can do that. But things have changed now. It's not like the old way where – it was just big on big, and everybody ran blast. That's gone. Yes, Stanford still runs power and blast, but most of the other teams don't. It's more or less speed now on offense, so you got to match their speed with your speed and get after it. Cool. Makes sense, Coach. Uh, thanks for sending that one in. Here's a kind of a long one from David I want to read to you about the, the whole signing day process here. He says he's a longtime follower of uscfootball.com, and I've probably listened to every podcast. Well, thanks for that, David. Uh, you guys do a fantastic job uh, and have transitioned nicely into your new home at Scout. Uh, your recruiting coverage continues to be thorough and respectful of, the, of these young men who are making a life-changing decision. I, for one, appreciate your work and will continue to be a longtime subscriber. Thanks so much, David. Uh, I'm writing to you because as much as I enjoy this time of year, I was taken aback by Iman Biggie Marshall's commitment video. And when I saw it, I couldn't help but feeling uh, complicit in contributing to the sense of entitlement and bravado these young men felt when deciding to create it. He certainly has accomplished a lot, uh, but I'm taken back by his judgment or lack thereof in creating this video. Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt were two-star recruits. Uh, Richard Sherman was a three-star. Tom Brady probably wouldn't have even been, been ranked at all. It's not an easy question to ask, but an important one. Has high school football recruiting gotten to an unhealthy place where the attention we give give it hinders these young men from developing into great athletes and more importantly, great men. I'm excited by the prospect of a five-star recruit committing to USC, but is this thrill worth it at the cost of placing lofty expectations on these young men that can burden their development? I can't help but think of George Farmer and the pressure he must have felt to be better than Marquise Lee and Robert Woods. I sincerely hope that Iman Marshall fulfills his expectations and becomes a great player for the USC football team. But I'm even more hopeful that during his time at USC, he grows and matures into a great man, which is more meaningful and which is a more meaningful and valuable accomplishment. Good stuff there from David. What do you think? Well, I agree with him. I think that uh, the media has created uh, celebrities in high school. They start when they're in the ninth grade, eighth grade, eighth grade sometimes, tenth grade, eleventh grade. They're they go to all these junior camps and camps, and everybody writes about who's there and how fast they ran and how good they looked. And all of a sudden, you don't think these guys aren't reading the same stuff everybody else is. I'm a four-star. I should be a five-star. I'm going to announce where I'm going on national TV. I mean, uh, don't blame the kid completely. Uh, you know, The kid's taking advantage of the marketing that everybody's giving him on who he is, and he has a name recognition before he even comes out of high school. Everybody knows they're, they're already talking about the 2016 recruits. I mean, nothing against uh, uh, people that are in the business to do that, but that's what everybody wants to know. 
And so there's a market for it, and people do it, and parents even sign up their kids for services that promote them and try to find a place for them to go to college. So it's not all the kids' fault. It's the people that help create these guys to be celebrities. They, they're Pretty soon they'll be having a red carpet where these guys come walking down the red carpet at some event when they announce it, announce it some Grammy Award or some damn thing. I mean, I think it's great for signing day. I like signing day. I like the way it is currently right now. I don't like early signing. I don't think that'll be good because the kid could change his mind. Coaches could leave, just like in the situation with this year, a couple of coaches. Or coaches could even be fired by the end of the year when somebody signed early. Then what do you do? you got to have a lot of different clauses in there where you're going to have to be able to release kids because they go to school a lot for the university, but they also go to school because of who's coaching them. Uh, so I, I, I think that, that it's good to be the way it is. Uh, and as far as the kids themselves, you can't blame the kids. Uh, I think, you you know, kids are funny. Kids will go as far as you let them go. So, I mean, dancing in the end zone, they'll just go as, as far to the limit. Before you're ready to throw the flag, they stop. Or they find a new way of doing it. I mean, uh, every week you have a different type of of uh, act that they've practiced or, or they're thinking about practice or their warm-ups on the sideline getting in a big circle and doing all of these uh, chants and so on, you know. Uh, it's part of uh, entertainment, and right now we've made college athletics. It's always been entertainment, but we've made it year-round now with recruiting, and we've made it year-round with uh, great players and the evaluation of great players and where they're going to go to school. So it, it's something I love doing. I love talking about them. I love recruiting. That's why I've always loved doing this show and talking about recruits. Because I felt I was a recruiting coach. I wanted to go out. I wanted to meet parents. I wanted to get in their home. I wanted to see who was going to make the decision, like I've said before. Uh, I, you know, so recruiting is great. But now, you know, these kids have a little bit of an ego more than they had before. Before, they were a little bit more humble. Now they've read about how good they are. And uh, with all the internets and logs and everything that's going on, uh, they're right on top of it. And just uh, a little perspective too. We Biggie Marshall was kind of like the biggest one there. We haven't seen a, a like produced music video like that before, and that was something that it's not something he did. It was something Bleacher Report did, and I I need to ask talk to him about it. But I think that's something that Bleacher Report came up to him and asked him to do something like that. Uh, he was a kid, in my opinion, coach that you know everyone thought was going to go to USC and wanted that national you know, exposure and that attention. And so I think some of it's on him. Some of it's on, you know, Bleacher Report for kind of putting that out. All of all, you know, everyone in the media, you know, wanting to cover these things. But the guys that announce on signing day are a very small percentage of an entire class. It's usually, you know, a, a, you know, for a USC, maybe, you know, 20% of the kids would, would make some kind of announcement like that. Uh, but for a lot of schools, it's just not the way it goes. It's usually the biggest name guys or, you know, a lot of the four- and five-star guys, some of them want to do it, and other ones want to commit a year in advance or a year and a half in advance and just be committed for forever and, and not really worry about trips and things like that. So I, I think part of it is you can have a great experience as a recruit because of the official visits and things like that. And sometimes, even if you know which school you want to go to, you still want to take these visits and everything. But it's I don't think it's a, there's some epidemic. It's happening a lot, but it's not you know, the, the majority of players. It's not that every player out there does this. No, I agree with you 100%. It's just uh, going a little bit farther and being uh, the final commit and being the number one corner in the country. It's 
sort of suspense. It was for me. I didn't know anything about this video. I didn't know he was going to USC until I actually heard him announce it. Yeah. I don't know if you knew, Ryan. I, I mean, everybody says everybody's feeling he's going to USC, but hey, until you sign that national letter of intent, you aren't going anywhere. And uh, once you get that, when it comes through on the uh, fax machine, man, I used to just say, hey, we got it. But until you have it, you don't have anything. All right, Coach, let's uh, move on. Rez2 had a question. It's a little. It's not as long as the last one, but it's a little longer, so I'll, uh, I'll read it for you. My question today has to do with fairness. Often in recruiting, a recruit will change his commitment from one school to another because of a coaching chain. Uh, see, change. See Rokon Smith at UCLA. Seems to me that that uh, is unfair that a coach can leave or get fired. He can then go and coach at another school immediately, but the kid's forced to stay where he is or risk losing a year. Uh, seems to me that if you, I'm sorry, seems to me if your coach, who's sometimes a father figure you never had, leaves with no penalty, then you, the player, should be able to allow, should be allowed to leave as well. For example, a kid goes to a school because the coach who recruited him has a history of getting players to the next level. That coach is fired and replaced by a rookie head coach. Now the kid is forced to put his future in the hands of an unproven head coach. Can't see how that is fair to the player. I feel the same way about probation. But we'll tackle that, pun intended, at another time. Uh, so what do you think, Coach? Is it fair to put my future in football in the hands of someone other than the guy who recruited me and I trusted in? Or is it just another thing a player has to suffer through, even though the adults who caused the issue get to go through once again unscathed? Fight on from Rez 2. Well, I'll tell you, I agree with you 100%. I think that Coaches know way in advance before they're going to leave, like uh, the signing date, uh, the next day they leave, or they leave two days after signing date, or the rumors get out that they're going to leave. Hey, these guys know they're leaving. I mean, believe me, they're either leaving by choice or they're leaving because uh, the coach uh, is going to make a change because maybe they're not going to be named defensive coordinator and they want to be defensive coordinator, so they're going to leave because they're mad about it or whatever. Uh, the coach knows himself. Maybe the head coach doesn't know. I think there should be a time period that a coach that when he's recruiting, when it gets within 60 days of signing date, that he has to know or 30 days, some, some, some amount of time. I don't know what it is that he has to say, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here next year. Or There's a chance I'm not going to be here. And I think that if a kid goes to that school, uh, after that, and this and this coach leaves, that he should be released. Now he can still go there, but he can be released and rethink uh, his options. I agree 100. percent And I, you've heard me say this before, Ryan. If you remember, years ago uh, at Oregon State, Dennis Erickson was coaching there. Went through the national letter of intent. They all signed the national letter of intent. Brought in a class. The next day, went to the San Francisco 49ers. Now. You know, you didn't think he was going to the national uh, to the San Francisco 49ers. You got to be kidding me. Well, I think that's all wrong. I think that's wrong for the kid. But you're asking the kid to give you a commitment and come and sign. And in your recruiting process, you certainly do say that you're going to make sure the kid graduates and I'm going to be his coach and all of the above. So you misled this uh, family and as far as his, their 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 athlete and their son uh, or daughter. Uh, and, and then the coach leaves. I think that's absolutely wrong. But then again, on the other side, and you've heard me talk about this, I think if a, a player makes a verbal commit, I think a verbal commit should mean more. 
because I, I, I make it a verbal commit. I am coming to USC, but I still want to, you know, go see some other places. To me, that reminds me of, hey, let's get married. Here's the engagement room, but, uh, ring, but uh, I still want to date a few girls. You've heard me say that a few times. Now, now you're supposed to be able to, uh, ob- or, you know, be responsible that you offered him and the kid has a scholarship, but the other kid's going out and dating other people. I don't like that either. I think when a kid makes a verbal commit, that's it. It's over. So you have to think about the process, and you have to decide whether you're going there or not. Because what happens, too, let's look at, at it the other side. Now, coaches will, will give offers to players early and then find out that really they didn't want that player. happens a lot of times, but they, they're finding out they're getting better players. So now all of a sudden they got to figure out now how are we not going to uh, take this player? So they quit calling him. Uh, the player gets the idea that hey, they really don't want me. Other coaches start recruiting this player, and they say, "When's the last time you heard from this school?" I'm not saying this is happening everywhere, but it happens. It just happens. And then at the end, you see some you see some uh, players changing the last day, and. Uh, when they have a chance to go, you know, Mason, uh, Premier committed to USC, then Washington State, and he ends up San Jose State, which is fine. That's the way it goes. But he had two verbal commits at two universities and then ended up at another one. Was he liked his last weekend recruiting trip at, with the Spartans, which is good. Congratulations to San Jose State. They had a great recruiting year for the Mountain West Conference. So, you know, you see that happen also with the receiver from Sarah. It was going to be a blue, a blue sh- uh, shirt. He was going to Washington State. All of a sudden, everybody came in on him. Arizona State came in on him. Everybody came in on him. And also, SC then offered him a blue shirt. And all of a sudden, he's going to USC in a blue shirt. Well, that's that commitment process again we're talking about. So players are looking for ways to better themselves. Coaches are looking for a way to better themselves. So I think that, you know, you got to look at it both ways and put top, some type of what's right in there somewhere. All right, Coach. Um, this next one is about the offensive line coach that USC's hired. So we broke this news. If people don't know, Bob Connolly, who was uh, previously at Oklahoma State, he has not been officially announced by the university yet. Um, we broke the news that USC had hired him on uscfootball.com, uh, I think almost a week ago now. We, well, uh yeah, I don't know. We put it out there five days ago, something like that, whatever it was. And uh, But there's no official announcement yet from USC. Steve, uh, Steve Sarkeesian did tell boosters at the recruiting dinner on Wednesday night that uh, he was the hire. Um, they introduced him. And so for whatever reason, they still haven't officially announced him. But they're talking about Bob Connolly. He spent some time at Alabama, UCLA. He's been all over the place. Um and so this question is about that, Coach, just to give you like a background. It's Eric in Georgia, and he says, I'm very impressed with the recruiting of this staff, but I'm disappointed in the choice of the new offensive line coach. Do you think Sark is finding guys who don't challenge him as a head coach versus finding someone with a strong coaching pedigree to really push this offensive line to a place where we dominate? I feel like this young O-line needs someone whose name immediately demands success and excellence. What are your thoughts? Love the show and fight on. Well, you know, um, uh, in a way, you know, I've always said this, 
at USC, every assistant coach you have, have should be a potential head coach. That's the type of coaching position it is at USC. You shouldn't have anybody around you that cannot become a head football coach. I mean, that's when I was at UNLV, I had guys lead me that became Pat Hill, became the head football coach at Fresno State. Uh, Scott O'Brien was the, was with the Patriots. Uh, I have guys all over the NFL, but they're that quality of, of coach. You want to surround yourself with people that have been there with the lights on. And I've had a lot of head coaches be a part of my staff. Why? I wanted guys that have been there in the big stadiums before. And when they walk in, they just look, don't look around and say, oh, man, what a beautiful stadium. Hey, we're not here for the look at the stadium. We're here to play a football game. So I think it's uh, important to get the best coach you can find at every position. A combination of a recruiter, as a technician, as a player's coach that players like, but yet be kind to the players and have love towards the players so the players want you to be successful, the whole team. So I don't know Bob Conley. I I don't know him, so how can I say anything about him? I know he's moved around a lot. I don't know what his background has been. Uh, I've never met him personally. But the eyes will be on him at spring practice, obviously. Ryan, you go to spring practice every day, and you'll be watching practice. And I think one position I'll be watching is the offensive line, too, and how they accept him. I think following uh, Tim Drevo is going to be very difficult because he's a very good coach, a technician. So the first thing coach has got to do is to come in and, and gain the confidence of his players. He's got to uh, make sure that they understand that he's there to make them better and also to be uh, someone who can uh, give them the type of success that they will enjoy. That's why they came to USC. So I don't know him. It's hard for me to talk about him. Uh, and for him not to be announced is absolutely amazing because a le- uh, less than a month from now, they start spring practice. Uh, I'm surprised he wasn't involved in the recruiting. I really am. Uh, you're recruiting with one less coach. Uh, and he was in that situation. I guess he recruited for Oklahoma State, but he's going to USC. I'm assuming. I don't know if he recruited for Oklahoma State, but I, he must have. So now he's at SC, and uh, I don't know if he's there in the offices yet or not, but sort of puzzles me why they haven't announced him. Maybe they're not getting a release from his contract at Oklahoma State. I don't know. Maybe they have a, a buyout or something. I, I don't know what the situation is, so it's very difficult for me to comment on that, but uh, I know the eyes will be on him. And as far as big name coaches around coach Sarkeesian guys that have been head coaches and, and uh, similar type of uh, uh, positions. uh, No, he has, he does not surround himself with that. And, and right now I'm somewhat surprised. I'm not being negative, but I'm somewhat surprised he doesn't have an SC graduate on his staff. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a little bit surprising um, to that too. And I, you know, Coach, when this first kind of came out, a lot of negativity was throughout. The people were saying, "Why? Who? Why are you hiring this guy?" And I, you know, I just don't know enough about him. I mean, you have no idea he could be the best line coach in the world. Or whatever, it's just it's hard to say. People read like his Wikipedia page or whatever and feel like, oh, "I can't believe it. How'd they hire this guy?" And I, it's amazing to me sometimes the negativity people can kind of jump on it right away. We just don't know much about him. And I think when USC officially announces him and Steve Sarkeesian kind of talk about him publicly, um, you know, we'll hear the reasons why he was the guy that, that Steve Sarkeesian hired. I mean, we still don't know. So I, 
but I, I'm a little shocked that so, that such negativity came out, at least on the, you know the message boards and stuff on uscfootball.com. People are like, why are they hiring this guy? And I don't think people know enough about him yet. That's exactly what I just said. I, I can't make a statement until I see what the results are. I think the, I think the only way that you can uh, evaluate someone is to see what the results are. It all starts with spring training. All right, Coach, we have one last question for you. Here's a voicemail question. Uh, here we go. What's good, Ryan and Coach Hyde? This is Brian from Birmingham checking in again, SC fan in SEC country. First off, I'd like to say rest in peace to Dean Smith. College basketball just lost a great ambassador to the game. However, on a brighter note, um, National Signing Day, Salt can really close. I mean, I haven't seen this type of recruiting and closing since – the Cal era. With that being said, we need to translate that into wins. This is a question for Coach Hyde. With all the success that Kessler had last season, does Sock give him the keys to the offense? I mean, really let him just check off at the line and be an actual quarterback, an actual quarterback, excuse me. Um, of course, as always, love the podcast. Go Trojans. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, again, we uh, appreciate your weekly uh, voicemail question. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, Kessler is the key to the offense. Uh, I've always said that. Uh, people who have not agreed with me have uh, – I'd have always made the comment, what would they be without Kessler? Uh, I think that I would give him that okay. At least, uh, why not? I think he's a smart kid. He knows the offense. I think that uh, he can be very productive as far as uh, coming back and showing his faith in USC and also USC showing it in him. I, I think he's a leader on the field. I think he'll uh, talk and checking off on the line. Obviously, that's something that he should be able to do. I would assume if he's he's intelligent enough to do it, you've got to be able to show the team and him that you have confidence in them as far as Performing the play that's called. Run the play that's called. You've always heard that term. Or if it's not there, check out and run the play that you should be running. Uh, so many of our plays when I had Randall Cunningham, was uh, we didn't even call a play. We just said run play. And they went to the line of scrimmage and he audibleized to the play that we had planned for that defense we faced. Or same with the passing uh, play, depending what the yard, yardage was as far as third and or whatever we needed. He knew what to go to. And I think that's uh, the way you become a better offensive football team. You never want to run into the strength or pass into the strength of the defense. You want to take advantage of what they're giving you. And Cody should be this type of guy that's able to do that. And you should design a, an offense that fits around Cody Kessler. Uh, what does he do the best and let him do it? And uh, I think that's uh, the best way to explain it. I think he's, he's the key of the offense this coming year. And how Cody goes, USC's offense goes. All right. Well, great stuff, Coach. Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking about the offseason, talking about signing day, getting ready. Spring ball's only about three weeks away, so kind of crazy. Football's just around the corner. Well, Ryan, again, thank you, buddy. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. And uh, everyone else back in a minute. Going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. 
SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Big, 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 big week we just got through and pretty exciting. Yeah, pretty exciting with uh, signing day and uh, spring football just around the corner. And we'll, we'll jump into these questions, Dan. We did have a... Someone that wanted to ask you a recruiting question, so we're going to play this one for you, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll start talking uh, some USA football and recruiting. Here we go. What's up, guys? This is Sean from Kentucky, uh, calling in after National Signing Day, which has been a great day. You know, say what you want about Sark, but him and this staff know how to close on elite guys on signing day. Pretty sure they're perfect. But you know, I wanted to get your take on an article that makes an interesting point. Uh, but uh, what it basically says is USC is really the only school in the past 15 to 20 years that the school recruits itself and recruits itself consistently into getting elite-level talent. Uh, And I haven't really thought about that before, but, you know, you look at Ohio State and Alabama, and then you also take a look at Texas, Tennessee, Florida, and Michigan – you know, their recruiting success firmly is rooted in who their coach is. Why is it different with USC? Is USC literally the best brand in college football, regardless of coach, regardless of record, regardless of anything? Uh, thanks for the podcast and fight on. Uh, John, I saw that article, and, and I, I think they probably overstated it to some extent. Uh but I think USC probably is, is less uh, uh, the coach at this point in time. I think uh, uh, the thing that matters for USC is obviously the tradition. But more than that, USC's got you know, the most, um, uh, most guys in the NFL, most NFL first-rounders, the, uh, uh, the most NFL Hall of Famers, or at least they're tied with Notre Dame now, 12 each. Most uh, overall number one picks. So USC has a kind of a history of being able to to be that program where if you're if you're good, they're going to see you, they're going to know you. Uh, there's been a lull at this point uh, because of the numbers and because of the fact that USC uh, played freshman last year and played them successfully, and that there's still another year where there's room for freshmen to come in and play. And I think that uh, rationale really affected this year's recruiting class. They saw, you know, there's the opportunity to go there and play. 
uh, to contribute right away, to be noticed, to get to the NFL. They all want to get to the NFL. Uh, and USC has the ability to say, we can, we can do all of that for you. Um, uh, being in L.A., uh, you know, doesn't hurt. The campus is spectacular now. Uh, it's just such a, uh, you know, a booming, alive, uh, you know, place with new buildings everywhere you look and just all kinds of, you know, it's just a really, you know, a mile and a half or so from, you know, L.A. Live and just a little bit farther to the middle of downtown. So it's, it's, it's kind of got a whole lot of things going for it. Uh, I think at this point in time, the coaches basically have to not screw things up and, uh, you know, not get in the way, and they've followed through on everything. Uh, I think they've done, a you know, a marvelous job. But I think we may get over, you know, as you say, and as the article said, they recruit no matter who's the coach. Uh, but I think it really does matter in terms of another year or so. You're going to have to be able to say, you're going to get the job done, you know, like Ohio State uh, did last year on the field. I think it's uh, this is a you know, this is a, ch- a year where it really is a, a challenge. But I think you know the case is that USC do they have the best brand in college football? You know, they're they're maybe you can certainly make a case for that based on you know what's happened, how they survived the sanctions. I don't. I think you could easily say no other school could have survived those sanctions as well as USC did. Alabama certainly didn't when they got hit with, you know, penalties that maybe weren't quite as bad, but, uh, you know, in that same ballpark, uh, Alabama didn't handle them uh, nearly as well as USC. So I don't think Notre Dame would. Hell, Michigan isn't even on sanction, and, look, you know, look what's happened to them. Texas isn't on sanction. Look what's happened to them. So um, so I think you can make that case, but uh, that but I think, you know, it is going to be performance-related with how the coaches do, how the team does, uh, starting with this year. I think that, that will, kids will look and say, you know, where's the program going? Uh, but right now they can say, you know, I'll, I'll help take the program somewhere because there'll be a chance for me to play right away. So, good question, but uh, I think uh, I'll agree with most of the, you know, the brands. But I think uh, it will be tied into, the, you know, how they uh, produce. All right. Uh, let's see. We got Peter in San Francisco had a question. Christmas has already come once this year on National Signing Day, and it might come again if the uh, internal NCAA emails about Todd McNair, about the Todd McNair lawsuit are made public. On January 5th, California's Second District Court of Appeal postponed until February 2nd its ruling about whether these emails can be unsealed. February 2nd has come and gone. Any news about these emails? I, for one, would love to find out what Notre Dame Senior Deputy Athletics Director Missy Conboy had to say about USC. Fight on now and forever. Peter in San Francisco. Well, Peter, I guess that that uh, earlier in the day, uh, Friday, or at least earlier in the day, Friday, before the, the you know document dump came out with all the opinions and the USC, or the, excuse me, the, the Todd McNair, uh, NCA emails was one of the decisions. Uh, so I think uh, I, what we don't know uh, exactly how many of the people was it all, did they search all of the Committee on Infractions files uh, to see if you know what was involving uh, Todd McNair, and did they only get the ones that were involving Todd McNair? For example, are there other emails in there? that are just more general about USC and aren't specifically 
limited to the discovery, I'm assuming, about the Todd McNair case. So I think that's one of the interesting things. If this thing goes back to the, you know, if they lose the appeal and it goes back to uh, if they lose the appeal of the, the basic issue, which is to have the case thrown out that the NCA wanted, and then they go back to the uh, L.A. Superior Court, where they basically already lost uh, on, uh, you know, on the issues where he, you know, the judge Schaller said it was, uh, you know, malicious and uh, all of the things that he said about the NCA's conduct. From what I understand, McNair um, lawyers will get further discovery, and they will be able. This is only a partial discovery, uh, fair, limited in scope, in order to defend themselves against the uh, uh, slap. You know, that's a technicality that too long to describe it here, but uh, themselves against that uh, motion to get it thrown out of court. The amount of uh, discovery was fairly limited. Uh, Let's say, get ready for an actual trial. Uh, The amount of discovery will be much more, and uh, that will be pretty interesting to see how far that that discovery goes, and how all how many people are involved in the uh, uh, you know the committee on infractions uh, does that turn up other issues and all of that? We don't know. Uh, the, the lawyers in the case aren't allowed to talk to us about that. Aren't allowed to talk to anybody. There's an absolute gag rule. So we're kind of uh, to some extent just just at this point. But uh, yeah, we'd love to see. Uh, the emails from you know people like Jason uh, Tito and Missy Conboy, uh, and do they you know have any relevance in terms of uh, just USC, not Todd McNair? Um, that'd be that'd be wonderful if we can find those out. All right, uh, thanks for that one, and yeah, d- definitely check out uh, Dan had a great piece on USCfootball.com, writing about that, so you can check all that out too. Um, Frank at Sacramento had a comment or a question, Dan. The USC wide receiver George Farmer did not receive an invitation to the NFL Combine. Where does it go from here? Well, I do know that they, at times, they add people to the Combine, and I, I one would hope that he's got someone representing him that, uh, or you know, some of the coaches can, you know, be pushing him. Now this year they're having. Uh, a series of uh, regional combines for people that aren't invited to the combine in Indy. And um, so I, I would assume he would go to one of those and then he's going to pro day. So, uh, you know, we'll see, but I, I, I'm not sure that it's been absolutely the door absolutely closed on him at the combine. I do think there, you know, there's some potential to, you know, put another, you know, a few people in, in, you know, in the combine. That has happened in years past. So, so I, my guess is they're probably working on that to see if uh, George can, you know, get an invite there. Then, uh, other than that, uh, these regional combines, and I don't know that there's anyone on the absolute west coast. I'm not sure that there was one west of Phoenix or it might have been Phoenix is the farthest west, but uh, I think there's four or five of them. Uh, kind of a new feature this year. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Worst case scenario, he'll be uh, performing at the uh, pro day. Um, let's go to J- uh, Jamal. 
He says, from a recruiting standpoint on the defensive side of the ball, it looks as though there is a much uh, clearer picture forming. I mean this in regards to the style of play. While the offense is the team's strength currently, once Cody leaves, I wonder which direction the offense will go. They have what seems to be an eclectic mix of quarterbacks on the roster. Is anyone talking about Jalen Green, who I believe may be the X factor going forward? That's from Jamal. You know, I don't think they know. You know, I think they're talking about you know Max Brown, to be honest, uh, in in terms of that. But you know, could you have a an attack where you you know made use of a uh, you know a second quarterback like Jalen Green? I mean, I do think Jalen's not sure. You know what what's in his future? I mean, he is a heck of an athlete. Um, he probably needs to figure out how to really uh, get on top of the ball with his throwing motion because the ball. Got such a strong arm, a quick, strong arm, that the ball tends to sail on him and just take off. And um, you know, you can't really, you, you know, can't really have that. I mean, you've got to throw the ball on target, on time, and uh, that's not something that he has shown yet. However, uh, you know, we've seen you know a number of teams in the Pac-12 that have had the ability to incorporate a second quarterback into you know game action and and done pretty well with it. So whether they'll, you know, try that. You would think this year, though, that the alternate action is going to go to Max Brown. With him, you know, he's more of a, you know, in terms of athleticism, uh, you know, more of a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you know, that kind of a, you know, classic, uh, you know, um, stands, not standstill exactly, but, uh, but a guy that, you know, basically going to be your pocket pocket passer guy. Um, so, and then you've got Jalen Green, he's about as, you know, different as you could possibly have. So, that'll be interesting to see going forward. I don't know how much we'll pick up on where that's going this year, but uh, as you say, it's an eclectic mix of uh, quarterbacks, and, and where they go and what happens next, I, I don't think we can predict, and, and this might be one of those things that kind of evolves as the players uh, develop, and and you see what's, uh, you know, what your opportunities are. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. We're going to do this from Turn Up Trojan. He says, I'm excited for the future with these talented recruits. Uh, my podcast, podcast question is, now that a lot of holes have been filled extremely well, I wonder about our punting on special teams. I have frustration on SC not being able to pin teams deep inside the 10 or 5 large yard line. I imagine this uh, is a weakness since that's where numerous times Cody Pooch punts to try and pin teams deep. Mostly failed. So how can USC improve in this area? If they can make teams have to drive more than 80 yards for scores with this talent, SC will improve drastically when it comes to field positions. Thanks. Fight on from Turned Up Trojan. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, to not have Cody happen to Pooch punts from like the 40-yard line and the 35-yard line is be able to run the ball and be able to, you know, not turn it over on downs when you're down in that, you know, not quite the red zone, but darn close. Uh, you know, I'd love to, love to see him, uh, you know, iron those things out so we're not, you know, standing there at the 35 thinking, you know, this Cody has to pitch, pitch punt this one. Um, whether Chris Alvarado, I mean, we see him Hitting, uh, you know, getting the ball to turn over and hitting those, 
big long punts, and then uh, you know he'll have uh, you know some games where you think, gosh, is he still you know suffering for uh, you know say when uh, you know when they wanted him to do nothing but uh, directional punt it and not let guys return it and all that kind of thing. Um, whether having another year where he's at times encouraged to just kick the ball deep, uh, whether he can uh, you know kind of break out of that that mold and, and just forget those uh, those throwaway punts that you'd rather you know he never even he never he's never even tried. We'll see how this works. And, and you know, do you get a, a guy like um, uh, Matt Bormister who's also a punter? Uh, there are other um, uh, other punters, you know, on the roster. Do they get in the mix this year? I don't know, um, but I'm sure they're looking at it. And you know, I I really like Chris Alvarado, and you wish him uh, well. A great kid, uh, and it's shown that that he can do it. He just doesn't always do it, and and you're not always sure, you know, what is the reason for that. But I'm sure it's an area they're looking at. And yeah, and I. For me, Dan, I mean, I thought when Chris Alvarado had the chance, when he punts near midfield, he does a really good job of pinning people in for the most part. But it's the flipping the field when you're at your own 20. That's where it seemed like the, the deficiency was, for at least for my observations in the punt game. Yeah, and I don't know if that comes from, you know, having not done it much under John Baxter, they really didn't like to turn him loose. And then is he trying too hard when he gets that chance to flip the field? Uh, and just seems to, you know, where it looks like he's really trying to do that, and it just doesn't come off. And we see him do it in practice. I mean, we see those, you know, boomers that go, you know, and we don't see those in games all that much. So, again, that's what you're hoping, one more year where he does get the chance to do it, that he can do it. Uh, I mean, he's had some, you know, some games where he's averaged, better than 50 yards, uh, you know, a punt. But uh, he's had those games where, you know, the more he tries to, you know, kick the deep ball and flip the field and, you know, ball ends up out of bounds at the 50 or something like that. So uh, something everybody's got to look at and work on and uh, see where this, you know, where this ends up. Uh, Terry had an interesting point, Dan. I wanted to share his thoughts here. He says, uh, Dan, it occurs to me that USC started quarterback for the 2016 season opener against Alabama, barring injury to Cody Kessler, will probably be Max Brown, uh, getting the first start of his career. I can't imagine more pressure for a kid's first start. Therefore, I believe it's even more important next season for the Trojans to have a few blowouts to get Max some game time experience. Your thoughts, Terrian? I have no question he's got to get more experience this year. I think he's just got to get more experience, period, um, uh, this time. And, um, you know, whether you're looking at the Alabama game or not, I just think he's got to be more ready uh, from game action to be able to step in if something happens to Cody. One of the problems with the blowout games is you can't really run the full game plan. I mean, once you're in a blowout game, you're not going to be throwing them all deep you're not going to be doing a lot of things or, you know, people look at you like, you know, you're a creep uh, for doing that. So, I mean, the Notre Dame game, you know, might be a good example. He, he got in, but um, if you're up 49 to 14, they're not going to let you do all that much. So I think they got to figure out a way to get him in there in more real game situation uh, stuff. And, you know, that's never easy and never going to be easy. 
that it, it would be an ideal thing to get some of that for him this year, or at least get him in situations where he can run the whole game plan and um, and run it with you know some of the or many of the starters, so that he really gets that sense of you know game speed and all the other stuff that uh, you know you'll need when you when you go play Alabama. But you know Alabama's last year they had a brand new quarterback, um, and um, they'll have another one next year, and whether they'll have the same guy for two years in a row in 2016 or not. Uh, I think we sometimes get hung up on, oh, this is going to be a disadvantage or whatever. I don't know. You just never know. Uh, I think Max will not look or act like a, uh, if he starts that game, will not look or act like a, you know, guy that's making his first start. This is my, uh, my sense of him. I think he'll be, he'll be fine and he'll be ready to play. All right, thanks for that one. Uh, we've got another voicemail question for you. Dan, here you go. This is Richard, the uh, USC basketball fan. Uh, two more embarrassing losses for SC. I realize they're getting better, but again, close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. I do have a football question for Dan Weber. Uh, do you think Randall Cunningham's son, who's the high jumper on the track team, might come out for football? And is there any update with uh, Junior Palme? I heard a while ago that maybe he was back in school. I sure would appreciate it. <clears throat> Enjoy the show very much. Take care. Bye. Uh, to go with the second and first, I think Junior, I mean, I, I don't think they would not be happy. They'd be happy if he, you know, could work his grades out and get his conditioning and, and all of that to the point where, uh, you know, he could come in here and play. And he's got some, you know, had some issues that, uh, you know, whether they turned out to be, uh, you know, not the criminal ones, but there are, you know, there are some issues there that, uh, you know, have to, you know, really square away and got to get himself uh, so he looks more like a tight end than a, you know, than a tackle. And, um, uh, and I think that might be one of those ongoing things through this, uh, you know, through this year to see where his grades are and in relation to, you know, being able to qualify him to come back in the USC. And, you know, I just thought I don't have a, you know, good answer to that because you're basically talking about, you know, his grades in, in junior college and, and how's he doing on them. Well, as Randall Cunningham, son, um, if, he, if he came back, I mean, he can come back after two years, he can come onto the team and keep his track scholarship and doesn't count as initial counter and all that. Uh, but um, uh, to, to do it his first year, basically, or after one year, um, I don't necessarily – I mean, I guess you could say, well, he could do it, not play at all, just strictly do uh, do it for, you know, getting familiar with the system and all of that. I, I mean, I think that's a, that would be a possibility, but I don't think he could even consider in any way uh, a football scholarship or the ability to, you know, play out there because if he played, it's going to count as a scholarship. Um, so uh, – I think I was more looking at it for after two years than, you know, the first uh, first year or the second year. I, I don't necessarily see that. All right. And then uh, he had mentioned basketball, Dan, another couple losses for USC. But I we had a... I thought that was, yeah, I didn't think that was a question. I thought that was kind of a, a throwaway. Oh, it was, yeah. I yeah. Don't know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do, uh, you know, with the basketball. I mean, again... I heard it was just in the announcers the other night, and they're even not able to to know what to say 
when they start talking about what a young team this is, this is a young team that's, you know, through most of, of the year. And by that time, you're not exactly still a young team. You know, you might have been a young team in, you know, December, but by now you, you really shouldn't be considered a, a really young team. And yet, I mean, and, and of course, I always thought that was the great thing about having a young team is you got to see them get better and you expected them to get better. And I guess I'm not completely certain that, you know, when you say they're getting better, that they really are getting better. I mean, you know, they make runs, and then they do some just awful things, and you know, and, and by the numbers. And they play, you know, I mean, they, when, when they do things well, they should. I mean, this is the team with two pretty good freshmen who are now sophomores. Uh, and Julian Jacobs and um, and Nicole, you know, so you've got two guys starting, and six eleven kid and, and Nicola, and then you've got uh, you know Kate and Reinhardt and Darian Clark. So you've got two pretty decent transfers, who you know they had a freshman season. They're both sophomores, um, and both you know fairly tested and physical guys, and you know certainly big enough to play their positions. Then you've got four freshmen from the number 12 recruiting class in the country. And by now, you know, they're through most of the first season. So now you're talking about eight players, you know, who can play. And now what are we seeing? Uh, we're not seeing anything as a result of that. Um, and a follow-up, I guess, to that. Isaac, it's not about the team. It's more about recruiting. He wants to know, are there any basketball recruits other than uh, Metu and Boatwright that have interest in uh, USC? I think they pretty much said this is it for this year. These two, I know they, I know they're looking at one or two others, but I, I think they kind of, you know, convinced themselves that it may just be these two, and then that puts you. I mean, you got two six ten kids. One's a shooter. One's a, an athlete with some potential. That gets you up to, you know, 10 guys that you think ought to be able to, you know, contribute. And here you go. Uh, I think that is a, a, a project. Uh, I was surprised at how much of a project I think he is. But, right, you know, this kid that really can shoot the heck out of it, you know, they'll take anybody that can shoot, you know, from outside, even though he's 6'10". Now, how you, <clears throat> how you work at that getting, uh, you know, shots, and you want your, one of your 6'10 guys, you know, as a three-point shooter. But uh, uh, so, you know, I just it looks like there's enough talent to be competitive, but they just don't seem to guard anybody much. They don't seem to be uh, understanding in their offense where do the shots come. Um, they don't seem to be able to finish on the break so often. Uh, and, you know, the ball handling is just, you know, so hit or miss. Um, so, so I don't know where this, where this leaves this team at this point in time. I mean, they just haven't gotten any better enough to say, you know, it's working or, you know, whatever USC is doing at this point in time is, uh, is getting them closer to, I mean, you know, to be, one in, I mean, I guess it was Andy is now three and twenty-five in his Pac-10, in a Pac-12 record every two years, and that's that's pretty grim. 
It's yeah. really pretty good. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't have a good answer for where basketball is going and where it is or, or you know, what's happening other than I'm really disappointed and that they don't look like they, they really get it. They don't really, they don't look like they know how they're supposed to win basketball games. And uh, they don't look like they can, you know, do it over and over again, the kinds of things you have to be able to do to win basketball games. Uh, you don't see, you don't have a sense that they know what that is or that they believe they could do it. Uh, and yet, you know, they play, they go on these runs, they don't give up, they don't totally quit. And then something always seems to happen, uh, even if games that they're really in, in and really involved in, uh, something always seems to happen. It, it's, uh, it's difficult. All right, we've got two more quick ones for you. Both have to do with UCLA, which is kind of interesting. Um, I watched – this is from Rigo in Santa Fe Springs. I watched UCLA a few times this year, and to me it seemed – as though their defensive players were getting away with a lot of helmet-to-helmet contact. Some of the hits I saw, especially in the K-State game, were borderline targeting shots. I just wanted to know if anyone else noticed this too. Uh, if so, shouldn't the Pac-12 or NCAA address this? Uh, Rigo and Santa Fe. I don't remember that, but I mean... I yeah, 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 he's right. They, are, they were and they are. They, they're, you know, they one of the things they try to do is intimidate you a little bit. And... Uh, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that, and this is not or anything else. If U.S. get it, it's a penalty. If UCLA does it, they don't they don't get called for it. Maybe that's the advantage of wearing baby blue. Or I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I thought their kids uh, have had a kind of a reputation. And uh, I think certainly in the Kansas State game, <clears throat> there was some of that. And, uh, you know, I think they are they were pretty lucky. But asking the Pac-12 to do something about something uh, is just probably uh, way more optimistic about uh, the Pac-12 addressing something than than I would be. Uh, I think you've got to go out there and not be intimidated, and you've got to be very physical with with, uh, UCLA. And USC hasn't done that for three straight years, and and that's kind of a shame that um, UCLA feels like they can bully USC. And I'm glad to hear on signing day, Sark said, you know, he's looking for a team to be the bully again and to be, you know, the team that, you know, physically just stops people and makes those big plays when you need a big physical play. Uh, I think that's a great thing. Uh, no more finesse. Uh, be physical. That's what USC was, was known for. They were physical and they were faster and stronger and tougher. And uh, they got to get there, especially against UCLA. All right. Then one last one from Marcel and Diamond Bar. He said, I heard recently that UCLA is building a new football center on campus. Being that it is a state school, where did the money come from? Is there a revenue sharing within the Pac-12 conference? And how much is USC paying out, if any? Uh, Fight on from Marcel. Yeah, I don't know if the revenue sharing money goes into that new building. I know they got a ten million dollar donation the other day um, from some. Gosh, I'm trying to think uh, exactly how how that went, but they got a ten million dollar one and a million dollar one, and so uh, and it's a fifty million dollar building. So uh, 
whether they can take money out of the general budget for it or not, I, I don't know that the answer. Obviously, they're getting more money from the Pac-12. They're getting more money, you know, that probably you could say USC helps generate. Uh, um, you know, so is USC. USC is getting the, you know, the same amount of money. But um, um, I don't think probably the way things have gone the last few years, USC can complain about UCLA getting any of that money. Um, you know, they kind of earned it uh, on the field. But uh, but I know they've been working really hard at fundraising, and um, uh, it seems to be, you know, helping to some extent. I think the $10 million gift was the biggest gift they've ever gotten for, for football. So, uh, wow. Yeah. So they and I think it's you're seeing this. It's not a state school or private school thing because the Pac-12 network has generated more money for all the schools. I mean, the Washington states of the world redo their press. box. I mean, everyone's doing everyone's doing upgrades. If you're not upgrading your facilities, you're falling behind. So like USC needed the McKay Center just to basically keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> so I. I I, th- I think UCLA is a little slow to get to it, but I think all the schools are doing it. No question about it. And USC's got an advantage to some extent. Uh, they don't have to have an indoor building. You know, they don't have to have a field house like the, the schools in the Northwest or the Arizona schools because of the heat. USC doesn't have to do that. So, you know, there are some advantages to being USC. You can practice outside basically every day. And, you know, it's really, you know, manageable. So, uh, uh you know, you can let them go, you know, build their, you know, buildings and what have you. Yes, probably, you know, the money they got to raise and the big money they've got to raise in the near future is for the Coliseum. They've got to figure out a way, you know, yes, he didn't have to pay to build it. And hasn't had to pay other than, you know, the game rental fees and all that. Uh, but now they're, they're going to have to take on that, uh, that chore. And, and I think that's going to be the big issue for USC is, figuring out, you know, what to do exactly with the Coliseum and then how exactly to pay for it. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. I know you're on the road and uh, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, if if people sound different, yeah, he's on his cell phone. But thanks, Dan, for uh, spending some time with us on the podcast and uh, talking about signing day and everything else. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. See you this week. All right, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.